Hello people, you're listening to Stories by Sneha. I am Sneha Adhrekar, your host and the writer of this series. Our story today is written by Banishri Das. Let's listen to 8 Willow House. We grow up hearing the stories of old, the tales of truth and many lies. The folklores of wicked witches, the trapped spirits speaking through living bodies, the tales of the misty forest paths that still carry the footprints of lost wanderers in its dirt and their whispers for help in its wind. The tales of the spirits who control the hell-bound trees, male-wallant houses and trap the innocent so they may never leave. I would have also thought it just some tattle, if only it had not happened to me. It was springtime of 1996. My husband got a transfer to the hills in far north. Owing to his profession as an army doctor, we frequently travelled across the country. My son was only a year old. Packing three suitcases and carrying few ancestral furniture that we took everywhere we went, we reached our new house on the hills. It was a furbished 19th century cottage on the outskirts of the woods dominated with ebony and mahogany trees. A colonial style veranda stretched the entire frontage of the house. A rolling stream flowed behind the cottage. For a city girl like me, it was love at first sight. I had only seen such dream dust sprinkled houses in movies. Now I had the good fortune to live in one. My husband spent long hours in the hospital, so setting up and decorating the house was on my shoulders. The house came with few old but in good condition antique furniture that the previous occupants had left behind. I was particularly thrilled to find a wooden mahogany crib with engraved cabrioli legs. It was an absolute royal piece of furniture. I wondered why anyone would have left behind such a beautiful work of art. Never mind. I made a customized mattress from the local tailor and placed the crib in our bedroom for usage for my one-year-old son. The air in the hills was so pure the sky would lit with thousand stars at the night. I remembered those nights after putting my son to sleep, my husband and I would sit on the floral cushioned wicker chairs in the veranda and would sip hot mint tea, soaking in the sweet fragrance of the wind that blew from the woods. It happened during one of such nights. Those days, my son had just started to walk. Not yet a confident walker, but was taking few tipsy steps holding on to furniture or walls. Early into the night, I had put him to sleep in his crib. Post our dinner, my husband and I came to the veranda to enjoy the cool night breeze of the summer. The evening was nothing less than magical. The fully bloomed vines of Night Queen Jasmine over the balusters filled the air with a tantalizing smell. My husband got the portable radio and we were listening to old Hindi songs while sipping our tea. 
Few minutes into the bliss, I noticed from the corner of my eyes a shape appeared behind us near the main door. My heart raced fast. I jumped from my chair to see my son standing there. From an outsider's perspective, this may be nothing much unusual here. A child woke up and came searching for his parents. But if you ask me, I got the biggest shadow of my life. The incident shook me. The crib walls were high enough to make it impossible for my toddler to climb over it. He had never done that before. Even if I assumed for a minute he did so, but he would not be able to come out of it without falling down, or if he had fallen we would have heard his cries. Our bedroom windows on the first floor were facing towards the veranda, and it was impossible for any sound to skip our attention. The other astonishing part, how was it possible for my toddler, who had just learned to walk, be able to unlatch the safety gate at the top of the staircase and walk down the steps? It was as simple as somebody had lifted him up from the crib, walked down the stairs and put him down near the main door. But who was it? My mind had stopped working. My husband's doctor mind was not willing to take any theory which was not backed by scientific facts. I took my son to the bedroom, put him back to sleep and myself stayed sleepless the whole night. The one word to describe the night was eerie. Days following this incident were plain, eventless. I kept my son under my watch constantly. An uneasy silence prevailed in the house. It was the kind of silence of a thriller movie that fell right before you got stabbed in the back. I constantly watched over my shoulder. Even the slightest rustle of the leaves would make me alert. But nothing unusual happened for the next couple of months. Soon it was winter. The flowers in our front garden were no longer in bloom. Leaves, petals slowly withered and fell off each day. The trees looked naked, twisted and as if in pain. The effect of the incident had started to wean off. Now my toddler was running everywhere and kept me on my toes. He had started to talk few words, mostly a lot of blabbering. During one wintry morning, I was in the kitchen. My son was busy coloring a picture sitting at the playpen in the living room. It was a quiet morning with only an occasional sound of his coughs and strokes of his crayons. Suddenly his giggles rolled about the room. It came in fits and bursts, loud to soft to nothing at all, and then loud again. I hurried to the living room to find out the source of his amusement. I saw nothing. He had clasped his tummy and was rolling on the floor as if someone was mercilessly tickling him. He continuously looked into the space on his left and through the bouts of his giggles, he squealed, Stop! Stop! The uncontrollable, unfiltered giggles of the child should have been enduring for any mother. But I did not feel any joy seeing my child on the floor like that. Instead, I felt alarmed and scared. I picked him up immediately, unlatched the front door and went out to the garden. After a few minutes, when he calmed down, in a very casual tone, I asked him his reason of amusement. 
He answered with broken words that the tickling monster who lived in the house made him laugh. A shiver ran through my body like an electric current. I knew my husband would again belittle the incident, saying it was just a child's imagination. But I felt it in my bones that it was much more than that. After that day, I observed my son closely. It seemed he had an imaginary friend with whom he interacted. He would sometimes look to his left, to his right, as if he was seeing and talking to someone. Many children have imaginary friends. But I felt my son had an invisible friend, and a mother's intuition is hardly wrong. To my husband, I insisted on changing the house. In this house, my soul was sinking into an insidious darkness as black as night shadows on deep water. I was constantly worried about the safety of my family. It was the day before New Year. My husband had gone to the hospital to attend an emergency case. We were supposed to go to the clubhouse for the zero-hour celebration. I had readied my son. In his tuxedo, he sat watching TV in the living room. I was near the window waiting for my husband. The sun had already disappeared behind the mountains and the sky was hued in an amber and silvery grey. In the silence of the dim evening, only the TV was billowing. The phone rang and I ran to pick it up as I had been expecting my husband to call. It was him. He had called to inform that he was starting from the hospital and would be reaching shortly. While I was talking to him, I saw from the corner of my eyes that my son's attention had diverted from the TV to a spot beside him on the sofa. He was intently looking and listening to the air on his side. A chill passed through me. Before I could keep down the phone and go to him, in a quick turn of events, he bolted from his place to the main door, which I had kept open. He ran through the door and before I could catch him, to my utter shock, my toddler pulled the glass doors and latched it from outside. I banged from inside, pleading and scolded him to open. He just stood there, impaled, and kept looking on to one side. I would never forget that moment in my life. I understood he was following the instruction of an unknown presence, an unexplainable something. A minute later, my son turned his back on me and started to walk on the pebbled path towards the iron gate exit. I called out to him many times but he did not stop to listen. In a fit of panic, I opened the glass window of the living room and jumped out. I fell on the rose bushes, my sari entangled in the thorns. I got scratches and cuts all over my body. Somehow, I pulled myself out. Limping towards my child, I caught hold of him as he was about to exit through the gate. He shrunk in my embrace, as if he was relieved to be in his mother's arms. Something came over me. Holding him tight, I ran away from the house, like a horse bolting through a verdant meadow, my heart throbbing inside my chest. I never returned to that house, 
nor did I allow my child to come back. We moved to a rented house for few months before shifting to another allotted quarter. Soon my son stopped talking, laughing or crying to the nothingness of the void. He acted his age. It took me a couple of months to become normal again and more than a year to discard that incident as a bad dream. My son was now four years old. In the company of friendly neighbors, our life was bliss. My son had started to go to a Montessori. I vividly remember it was a day before the start of his summer vacation. The school was having an after-school theme-based ice cream party. Around five-ish, I went to pick up my son. In the car, he was unusually silent. Not in his regular form. I did not think much into it. It's quite normal for kids to sulk without any apparent reason sometimes. Few minutes into the drive, to lighten up his mood, I suggested he could be my map and tell me the direction to home. We often played this game. He knew the roads, the curves and the turns to home quite well by now. He started giving directions in his sulky tone. Halfway through the journey, at a T-junction, where we were supposed to take a left, he insisted on a right. I asked him if he was sure, but he would not budge. I played along and took the right. From there on, he meted out clear instructions to take a left or a right. I drove for close to 20 minutes. The roads became less recognizable. We left the main road to enter a dirt road. Tall pine trees towered over the narrow road. The sky was getting darker and my patience was running thin. I had made up my mind to turn back, but just then we came to a dead end. The woods stretched beyond us. My son insisted on stepping out of the car. We came out and I teased him briefly for landing us to a place of nowhere. He asked to come to my arms and I lifted him up. Few moments passed in silence. Then he pulled my chin to one side and kept on pointing to something at a far distance. I squinted my eyes hard at the direction of his pointed finger. Then it emerged. The brown slate roof of a house half hidden amidst the pine and mahogany trees. My son was pointing towards our old house. Eight Willow House. The air around me suddenly felt ominous, malicious. Pushing my child inside, I reversed the car with my trembling hands and sped away from the place, from the hills, for good, for never to return. Hey, I hope you like the story. If you like my podcast, please don't forget to subscribe to Stories by Sneha on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can follow me on my Instagram handle at T-H-E-A-G-A-T-H-I-S-T. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next Wednesday with a fresh episode on Stories by Sneha. Bye.